The Dragon Reread is brought to you by the Armadillo Podcasting Club. Did you know that Andre the Giant was an armadillo? Yeah, he's one of them. <laughs> For more armadillo facts, to unlock bonus content, and to find out how you can access episodes a day early, check us out at patreon.com slash club. Wheel of Time turns and ages come and pass, leaving memories that become podcasts. Hello there, welcome to The Dragon Reread. We're rereading Robert Jordan's Wheel of Time series of fantasy novels. I am Jeff Lake. I'm Alice Sullivan. And I'm Michael Sparkman. And today we're covering chapters 12 through 13 of Crown of Swords, book 7 of The Wheel of Time. Previously, we spent some quality time with Egwene. She put some junior NDA trainees on Milgedian duty, but they didn't spring even one trap. Meanwhile, she rolls around the dream like there's not a forsaken dream master out for her blood on the loose, for some reason. (laughs) Uh, When we left her at the end, she was following Gareth Bryan, going to check out something, because we have no idea what it is, while he regaled her with his predictions about how many common folk he intends to starve. Spoiler warning, it's a lot. (laughs) (laughs) It's all of them, right? All All of the the commoners that aren't in his army. Yes. Which is, I suspect, why he's been so successful at recruiting, because... You either starve or you join the army. Because he's taking all their food, right? <laughs> he is. Yeah. I'm going to call him the shrimp. Because like... Gareth Bryan? Because he's Bryan. Bryan shrimp. And uh, he's, he's short. Is, is he short? Well, he's, they always say he's stocky, which I think is a, a way you say... You say that about somebody who's short, but you think they can kill you. <laughs> Wait. Is he Samael? <laughs> <laughs> Shit, Gareth Bryan is Samael. No, he seems too smart to be Samael. Probably. That's fair. Chapter 12. A Morning of Victory. Icon of the Four Snaken. So, uh, Egwene is riding out with Gareth Bryan and some other people. We're getting a little little bit of like a snapshot of the countryside, and it seems like things are getting progressively worse. You know, I gave him a hard time about this, like, whatever, magical rain terrain or whatever it is. Um, <laughs> but it does seem like maybe this could be important at some point soon, because it seems like trees are dying, people are dying, starving and such. Yeah, it's pretty rough. Yeah. yeah, when it first came up, I thought it was kind of bullshit that all of a sudden, out of nowhere, they did their silly little, like, we're going to dream that we need something, we don't even know what it is. Uh, but I think now we're really getting a better idea of why it's important. Yeah. I still think it's bullshit that Elaine went because she has more important things to do. And sending Nynaeve and, you know, literally any other, like, Nynaeve keeper, I think, would be fine. <laughs> but, you know, it is it does seem like a pretty important mission at this point. It does get referenced later on, so I hope I'm not jumping ahead too much. But Avienda thinks at some point, she's like, well, Elaine has two things she could be doing. She could be looking for this bowl or she could be ruling Andor. But she obviously chose the more important one. I'm like, what the fuck? Yeah, like, I kind of disagree. Anybody says, can look for this bowl. Avienda, the person who thinks killing wetlanders is the, the primary occupation of the Aiel. <laughs> she doesn't <laughs> care about Andor. <laughs> She's like, who the fuck, who the fuck cares about Andor? Yeah. yeah. Also, Lady Chiefs. That doesn't make any sense. <laughs> right. Or like Lame Door. No, that doesn't work. Andor. Lame Door. Uh, we got to think of a good insult. More like Scam Door. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. Like, why scam we, people. Like Andorks. Oh, that's good. There we and go. All right. Jeff Nailed was a it. major bully in high school, guys. Yeah, I was. Yeah, you don't even want to know what he used to call me. Uh, Formica? Yeah, that was it. That was terrible. <laughs> <laughs> I'd go home crying every day. <laughs> Sorry, I said a little bit of flashback. Uh, anyway. <laughs> So, yeah, she, she sees the army. She sees some of the countryside. The band of the Red Hand is still shadowing them. 
I completely forgot about these guys, by the way. Like, we've, yeah, we've been in all these Egwene chapters. Uh, Matt's army, yeah. Yeah, and they've been following along, because that's what they were instructed to do by Matt, and that's what Egwene's plan has been. I completely forgot they existed. Yeah, and the armies are somehow both still growing. I don't know if I buy this at all, that people would flock to join the armies just because there's a couple armies around. Yeah, I mean, unless you take into account the fact that they're stealing all the food. Mm. Yeah, yeah, there's that. There's a certain amount of security, I guess. Sorry, not stealing, buying, forcefully. Uh, Foraging is the term. Yeah, yeah, foraging with, you know, the people's farms. Yeah, they they have this this scene that Egwene witnesses where they're foraging this farm, and the, the farmer and his family are standing there just staring daggers at the soldiers who are taking all their food. And Egwene's like, well, we're going to pay them for it. That's, that's, it's good, right? It's fine, right? Yeah. Even though it's clear that inflation runs rampant in this world because of the, the weather. So the food is worth a lot more than the money is. Yeah. If, if, if you had 100 gold pieces, I'm sure you couldn't buy food in some places yeah. the way things are. There's, I'm sorry. There's a great scene in, uh, in Game of Thrones, uh, which I don't know if we talk about that. I don't but, know what Game of Thrones is. <laughs> it's another fantasy You novel. mean the House of the House of Thrones? Wait, the, what is it? The House the, of the Great game. game? The Game of Houses? <laughs> <laughs> you, when you play the Game of Houses, you either go right or left? That's right. Was that it? That's the, that's the old saying. <laughs> yeah. You either turn left or you turn right. <laughs> or you miss your turn. <laughs> uh, but they, there's a scene where Arya is hanging out with the Brotherhood Without Banners, like bandits for a while. And uh, they rob some lords, and the lords are like, you, you guys are terrible, you're robbing us. And, the, and the, these bandits are like, well, you guys, when you guys rob the countryside for your stupid wars, you call it foraging. Well, that's what this is. You just got good and foraged, <laughs> which is a great scene. That's pretty awesome. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> snaps. <laughs> Game of Thrones is pretty good if you haven't heard of it. <laughs> <laughs> I'll check it out sometime. Some really good cosplay. Mm-hmm. Wait, are we going to do a Game of Thrones? Are we building up to a Game of Thrones? No. Okay. It's probably done. No, I'm not. Yeah, yeah it's over. You don't want to do Game of Thrones? Not really. No. This would be the only way that I think I could reread them. This way? Yeah. Game of Thrones is good. Parts of it are good. All of it is good. Up to book three, I would say all of it's good. Uh, all of it's good? Oh, well, okay. Yeah. I mean, yeah, yeah, up to book three. But like, if I was going to try and actually read the whole series, we'd have to be doing it this way. Well, by the time we get through this entire series in 2034, we can we can see from there. <laughs> yeah. Right, yeah. See if they've actually finished the Game of Thrones series. Well, they'll probably have the, the books in a format that you can just snort at that point. Yeah. I can't wait to snort books. <laughs> mm-hmm. So good. But anyway, bandits have been going through and just completely devastating the area, too. They're talking about uh, houses are burned down with people sealed up inside. It's fucked up. Yeah, so this is the actual. This is the white cloaks probably posing as dragonsworn that are doing yeah. that. Yeah, we think we're probably. Yeah, it, it might be real dragonsworn. It's such chaos. Yeah, it's true, uh, but but definitely not the band of the red hand. Although that is seems to be what Morel thinks, right? Yeah, yeah. It, and she gets mad because Gareth Bryan has been talking to the band of the red hand, and he's like, "Of course I have been. They're an army. I might have to fight them. I'm just you know checking out what they're up to." But he's also, like, it's funny because Gareth Bryan, he doesn't say much sometimes, but it's clear that he knows more is going on. Because he says something, he says something, like, very pointedly, like, they seem very concerned about how you were doing, Egwene. <laughs> and then, like, no context, you know, gives her a look. It's like, he kind of knows what's going on here. Yeah, he's great. Yeah, I love Gareth Bryan. He's, he's definitely one of my favorites. Mm-hmm. So he leads her to meet some merchants and such that have rumors, the rumors that Rand has gone to Neil to Elida. 
Which Egwene knows is totally bullshit. Fortunately, because this is a very dangerous rumor. And even though Egwene knows it's bullshit, like something like that, even as a, as a half rumor could be devastating to their army, right? Mm-hmm. Because they're, half the people are following them out of this, like, this idea that they're going to be bringing down the tower. But if the dragon has sided with that tower, then they're yeah. fucked. These books spend, these chapters spend a lot of time with Egwene and it's trying to get us a better understanding of what she is like as Amarlin Seda. She is like this very possibly powerful ruler. And I have to wonder how long that's going to last because it seems like a lot of it is coming from her just having knowledge of what is going on. But like, does she actually have any of the leadership qualities needed to back that up or is it just that? She was in the right place at the right time, and she has a good communication network. That might be all it takes to maintain control for something like what she's... I mean, that arguably, that's kind of what Swan had, right? Is she had a really good information network and happened to like be able to use that information to her advantage. That's interesting, because for me, leadership means making decisions. That's just always the way I've thought about it. But we'll, did we never really saw Swan make a lot of decisions, right? She was just kind of navigating her network. Yeah, I, I guess we never saw Swan doing the job at all, which means that we don't really know what it looked like, I guess. Yeah. But, uh, I mean, she's training Egwene pretty well in what she did, I suppose, right? I think she's doing a great job. And I feel like I'm jumping ahead a bunch, but Egwene, too, later even says that Swan is can act as her proxy, which is bananas. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I think Swan might be missing some of the traits that Egwene has. I think she's been pretty decisive so far, right? She mm-hmm. says, we're going to build an army, we're going to go take back the White Tower, and then we're going to support Rand, and we're going to control him, sort of. But, you know, still pretty decisive compared to the other Aes Sedai. Mm-hmm. That's true. Until she sure showed up, they were just sitting there, right? Yeah. I'm not sure even Swan would have been that decisive, although she has all these other skills of uh, collecting information and understanding factionalism. You kind of have to wonder if the White Tower had been stagnating before Elaine, Egwene, Nynaeve showed up because there were so they were saying that like there's so many less accepted novices that had been showing up so maybe the older women were just really set in their ways of like going off and doing their own thing and not sharing anything with anyone ever yeah i'm getting that vibe yeah you know we the the white tower is presented as this kind of godlike omnipresent entity that knows all and controls everything Mm -hmm. but when we see on the inside it's you know sclerotic i'm sorry it's what Erotic? Slerotic. You know, like stiff and inflexible. Slerotic. Yeah. I have never heard that word. Like multiple sclerosis? I think we've actually had slurotic. this identical conversation. Have we? Jeff used the word slerotic, and then we asked if it was something about like racist erotica or something like that. <laughs> I slurotic. don't remember that at all, but I, I was I probably drunk. Well, I don't know. I'm I mean, drunk all the time. Maybe I made yeah. up that conversation in my head. Does that sound familiar at all to you? No, I don't remember that. Mm-mm. Have you ever used that word before, Noi? I use that word every day. <laughs> <laughs> Very slurotically. <laughs> kind of slurotic about it. I literally already forgot. What does it mean again? It's <laughs> it means stiff and inflexible. Okay. Do we need as to in, do like as a, in multiple sclerosis? Should we do an armadillo sclerosis? Sclerosis slurotic. Should we do an armadillo podcasting? <laughs> Say that day, more. More than day. Calendar. Slower. <laughs> <laughs> this episode brought to you by the word slurotic. <laughs> Pee Wee's Playhouse. Ah! Ah, you said the, the slurotic. Slurotic. Ah! <laughs> <laughs> oh, 
I'm going to go back off. <laughs> okay, I'm, I'm sorry, guys. I'll slow it down. When we really found out the White Tower was dumb. <laughs> I'm sorry, could you use one with less letters in it, please? Less than three? <laughs> Say the less condescension. Oh, you were saying dumb without a B. Got it. Yeah, right. that would make more sense. <laughs> Don't be slurotic, Micah. <laughs> what? You mean firm and inflexible? Wait, what is inflexible? <laughs> stiff and inflexible. You mean stiff and inflexible? <laughs> it's a term often used of political organizations uh-huh. that have become hidebound and, and slurotic. Sorry, I'm going to go read my slurotica. <laughs> I'll be back later. I like to write slurotica on the internet. <laughs> What's your nom de plume for your slurotica? Uh, Boner Mc... Bonards Town. <laughs> Sorry, that's terrible. Boner Town. <laughs> Rock Hard Boners. No, uh, uh, hold on. Chuck Tingle. <laughs> that's good. Yeah. That's um, a guy. That's a real guy. Yeah, he's a real is guy. It? Is he it? Is he the dinosaur one? You should look up Chuck Tingle. He's the dinosaur one, He is right? the dinosaur yeah, one. Dinosaur yeah. One. And he's, uh, he's done AMAs yeah, on Reddit and they are like, treasure. Anyway. Anyway. We're, oh, yeah. Yeah, uh, I, my read is that Egwene is underestimated by nearly everyone except perhaps for no actually even swan i think swan gets a read on Egwene better than most but even she is occasionally surprised by her so yeah i don't know i guess we'll see what happens in the coming chapters and books but um i think that she will be a person that's going to make some big waves in the long term too i'm really enjoying her character i think we all agreed that we were kind of hating her by the end of the last book Mm -hmm. but i'm really enjoying this again because she's actually She's actually doing something. She's pushing the action forward in a way that uh, most characters aren't right now. So I, I very much appreciate her. Yeah. And I really like seeing her as a capable leader. And she does almost, I, in these chapters, she maybe has one, like, hating on men. So. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's great. It feels like she's a brand new character. And I'm actually kind of really loving it. I was dreading going into this book, but we're over a third of the way in and I'm I'm really enjoying it. Yeah, I agree. I agree. I, I, I like the way that she's developed and I feel like it, it makes sense from what we've seen of her progression that mm-hmm. she came to this place in an interesting way. So I, I like her too. Yeah. In a way that I never had before. All it took is to get her to finally leave the freaking aisle waste and be elevated to one of the most important people in the world. Yeah, she had to get jumped out first. <laughs> yeah, that's true. <laughs> that did a lot for her, I think. <laughs> But then Gareth Bryan appears to show loyalty to Egwene. Mm-hmm. Yeah, this is interesting. Uh, and Bryan is somebody who I think has a really good like take on a really good firm understanding of things that are happening around yeah. him. So he sees what she's doing, and it's it, I think that's kind of cool because he's probably had less exposure to it than anyone there, right? Because he's mm-hmm. been. I, I think we hear that he doesn't often speak with Egwene. Yeah, I think that he often deals with the. The, 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 the sitters. Yeah. But and he sees the way that she's maneuvering here and make, and understands that she's got something going there. One of the characterizations I've seen Robert Jordan use that I really like is the the straight shooter. So Gareth mm. Bryan and Bashir, mm-hmm. their characters just, we inherently trust them and we really like them. Yeah. I agree. Yeah. I think Gareth Bryan probably has done the calculation that the only way he gets out of this with his head attached is if they win the war. Mm-hmm. And they, they winning the war gets less and less likely the more they waste time. So I think he's identified that Egwene wants to get there and win. That makes sense. And the other people don't necessarily want to actually fight this war. But he which said, means means he's you know out of luck. He says he even wants to put her on this on the seat, right? Mm-hmm. Like he's like, it's not just 
we're taking the city. I'm putting you on the in the Arbon seat. Yeah. So it's kind of interesting that he he makes that that initial or uh, additional assertion. Yeah, that's uh, so daddy of him. <laughs> that's right. Uh, what I, I'm a little confused here because there's there's a moment of like nervousness on Egwene's part. What is she afraid that Brian is gonna connect? Like we know that he's probably figured all this out, but why is that a problem for her? What is she worried that everyone's gonna know about the band of the Red Hand? That they're oh, not that, enemies? Yes, that they're not enemies. That they're there under orders to take Egwene back to Camelot. Oh. And that they're not Elaine. Oh no, Egwene too. Egwene, well yeah, and Elaine, right? Oh, you're right. I forgot that Egwene is Although part I think it was specifically Elaine and then Egwene if you can get her. Yeah, yeah. So, so that would change she he's using them as like a stalking horse to like build the army up, you know? Yeah. Like they're they're the enemy, right? They keep everybody in line. But they're not the enemy, right? They're not there to fight at all. I gotcha. In fact, they're there to do the same thing that they want to do, which is put Elaine on the throne. Right. But Egwene is shining them on, right? That's right. Because she has her whole thing where it's like, I'm going to make sure that Elaine gets on the throne. It's like, okay, I think that won't be a problem. (laughs) It should (laughs) be real easy. So she's just, she's keeping that on the DL for some reason. Yeah. But anyway, I guess the the whole build-up thing that Gareth Bryan was bringing her out there for was just that rumor. That was the only thing, right? Right. Which is an important rumor. Yeah, it is. And she's quickly able to disprove it right. and comes with a, with a strategy for dealing with the, the fallout, which is good. And so then Gareth Bryan heads off to go do awesome things on his own. And uh, Swan and Egwene, as they ride back, manage to ferret out the secret that Mirel is hiding, which is... Land! I know. You, yeah, this whole ride, I was, I was actually... A little stumped as well. Like I was this build up, and then, then it became pretty clear. But yeah, Lan is being held by Morel. Yeah, Morel and Nisao have been holding him in a camp, which I guess they've been moving him as the army moves. Also, I, I think have to right. <laughs> wonder, but he's going along with it because there's no way Lan can be contained. Right. Well, well he can. Except because, he's he's bonded with Morel, so she yeah. can like force him. Yeah. So she can she can command him. In fact, that she she does when they get there, she has him go through these like. Um, whatever his, his training form. exercise. Yeah, he's yeah, off he's to the side, like only wearing his pants and just doing yeah, sword forms as quickly out. as possible. And yeah. He's doing it so fast, uh-huh. and everyone's just like watching, like yeah. Whoa. And then oh he drops and does one handed push up. Then he then he like flexes his pecs and makes them pop independently. <laughs> and Morales is watching, like yeah, I get yeah. that. This made me so uncomfortable. Like it really drove home to me this idea. That maybe warders agree to become warders. Except when they don't. Like, Lan is just a slave. Yeah, we've, we've now seen yeah. two instances of a place where a warder was made a warder against their will. And, right. And that's, it's interesting that they don't well, necessarily have to agree well, to Well, they're all disgusted by doing yeah, it against this the will, Yeah, the ice and I yeah, compare yeah. it to rape, but... And they're not, like, far off, right? I mean, like, this is, this is really violating, you know? Yeah, it's just possessing somebody else's body. Yeah. It's not just a violation of his body, it's a violation of his mind as well, because... He, their, 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 their minds are interlinked. They, she can, she can feel his he- thoughts and he can feel her thoughts. Mm-hmm. This is a real, a real bad situation. And I, I, I actually like that all the Aes Sedai there, uh, understand how bad this is because it seemed previously when, uh, Alana did her thing that some of the Aes Sedai were like, eh, you know, but this is, this is serious. This, mm-hmm. is, this yeah. is terrible. And then I, Nicola's I, involved in this too, by the way. Yes, and Nicola and Ariana Frickin are there. Freaking Nicola. Yeah, she's these, getting these people, awfully involved these in... These people are problems. Yeah, seriously. Uh, come on. Variables in the equation. Yeah. This is not good. Yeah, no, no. The, so, yeah, they, they were apparently... They apparently 
blackmailed their way into this as well. <laughs> they found out about Lan and were like, give me some extra lessons or I'm going to tell everyone. Right, yeah. And it worked on Mirel and Nassau. Right. Mm-hmm. Oh, man. But that, that explains why Nicola knows things as though she's already been taught them. Mm-hmm. So she may not be a Forsaken. No, no she still is. Yeah. For sure. <laughs> Definitely Forsaken. Probably like two different Forsaken at once. <laughs> yeah. That's what I'm thinking. I think they just trade off. Yeah, I think she's probably, what is it, uh, Mogedian now. But before, she was probably uh, Masana. Yeah, Masana and Mogedian tactic-aiming in and out. Mm-hmm. It's interesting, too, because Morel is saying that Moraine, she thinks Moraine chose uh, to give land to her because two of her own warders beforehand had belonged first to sisters who had died. And she says no other sister has saved more than one in centuries. So if there's something about Morel, maybe, that uh, makes her, the warders that are passed to her live. I think right. it's just that Morel uh, has spent enough time studying and researching this that she understands the process. She's essentially doing counseling is what she's doing. You mm-hmm. know? Well, because it, it says her other word says, I have some interest in diseases of the mind, and this may rightly be called one. And I... Oh, no, no, it's not the warden. That's Nassau, the other, the yellow Aes Sedai who's there. Oh, I thought Nassau was one of Morel's original warders. No, 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 no. Yeah, too many names, right? Yeah. No, no, this is the yellow Aja who Morel essentially like corrals into helping her deal with this because she's a healer. Yeah, well, that's interesting because I don't think we'd ever heard anything about healing the mind. I mean, we hear a lot about like Rand's madness and wolf madness, but we've never heard about like a mental counselor. Yeah, that's right. It is true, yeah. And And I guess she... She means that she's healing it through the one power because she's a yellow Aja. But I wonder if there's like a counseling aspect to it as well. It's mm-hmm. interesting, yeah. Okay, Lan. What are you going to say the next time someone tries to kill you? No. <laughs> so I'm gonna go, let's Don't. channel those negative feelings and, and put them into something productive, like your sword forms. <laughs> <laughs> or fucking me. Because, uh, you know, Morel's apparently been begging Mar- him. Yes, Morel has uh, been more than counseling him. Yeah. Uh, yes, she's she been. Has. Counseling him? I don't know. <laughs> Counseling his dick. Counseling his dick. <laughs> mm-hmm. Interesting, though, we find out fun that in Ebu Dar, a woman decides when her husband dies who he should go to. Oh, yeah. It's an Ebu Dari thing. Yeah. yeah it's a cultural thing. Yeah, that's a funny. So, Meryl's from Ebu Dar, right? Yes. I was actually, uh, as I was reading this section, I was like worried, like in an eye rolly kind of way, that they were going to drag this whole, like, Land going to naive thing out, but no, Egwene like yeah. steps in and is like, no, this is what we're doing. I'm teleporting you to Abudar. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. She's like, this is messed up. We're not doing this anymore. Land's going to naive. The end. Yep. I think that's part of why I found these chapters so satisfying. Why I like Egwene more. Yeah, I thought it was gonna be like, oh, he's a broken man and he can't go. Well, well, well. No, she's like, you need to go talk to Naive. That's the only <laughs> thing that's gonna make you feel better. And he's like, all right. <laughs> <laughs> Except there are some some like coy speech things here that are happening that make me like a little uh, nervous because yeah. Lana uh, what is it Egwene says something like these are the things that you should tell Nynaeve to make sure that every, that she understands what's, what you're there for and Lana's like I'll tell her what she needs to hear it's like dude <laughs> don't fuck this up <laughs> I, I trust Lan you know he's I think he's pretty sharp you know he is but he's also like a little emo right now I'm afraid he's gonna do something like wanky and be like Oh no, I'm married to my blade. I still have to die. I cannot marry a woman because my blade is my lady. You know, something, you know, something like that. <laughs> that was really good. Your land sounds a lot like Eric Cartman. <laughs> Sometimes land sounds like Eric Cartman. Uh, I wanted to point out that while land is doing the forms, 
two poor little crickets hopped up out of the grass. And he kills them. And he kills them both. Yeah. With his sword. <laughs> it's like, he, he barely pauses as he flicks his sword. And then continues. <laughs> but we Why? Also, we also find out that Morel, one of the ways Morel has been keeping Lan from succumbing to despair is by smashing him. That's right. Yeah, she's been hitting it. She's uh, become the, the lord of the broken tower herself. She's been running that sword of the Malkyrie. Which I guess is just, that's sort of established practice, right? For the Greeks. Uh, for her, yeah. Keep, she, she, keep them busy, get them laid. Well, she's. I think she, they, say, they, they say that it is suspected that she's married all of her warders, which, you know, mm, right. for her. So do you think she forced him to do that? That is a great question. I don't suspect that Lan would do it otherwise. But she's got magic warder powers that can, she can force him to do it. Right? That's what I'm saying. Like, I don't think Lan would. I don't think Lan would agree to it, so that oh, means she probably saying. had to use her. Well, yeah, I'm not sure, though. I think Lan might... Think hit so? that, right? Because he, he doesn't know that he's going to Nynaeve, right? Oh, yeah. I suppose he doesn't. I don't think he does. And uh, they mentioned that Lan is, you know, not shy with the, the sword of the Malkyrie. Right? No, you're right. You're right. They do say he's like a bit of a ladies' man. In fact, when they mention that he's in love with Nynaeve, they're like, uh, yeah, sure? yeah, I don't know. Like, I believe that she's in love with him, but this is Lan... Alan Mandragoran, the <laughs> the tower of the the towers, Lord of the Seven, seven Towers. Yeah. yeah, the Seven Towers are his penis. <laughs> no, I don't know. Yeah, I don't. I don't think Robert Jordan would go that far. No, you're probably right. Yeah, I suppose if Lane had nothing to live for, he'd be like, yeah, sure, why not? Let's bone it. The change in him is shocking. Yeah, because he'd always been kind of a hard character, but I feel like coming this go around he's somebody who's like been to hell and back yeah he, and he's he seems, completely he seems alien yeah he seems even grimmer mm-hmm. yeah. like he always there was always kind of a little bit of humor to land yeah a little bit of humor and a little bit of humanity and i just feel like that's gone he's almost like feral at this point in a way right like like he's he's like a a beast a yeah. wild yeah. beast and uh Morelli even gave him a hickey yeah yeah that's what and like Why? Egwene should have healed that before he got to Nynaeve. I guess. she's going to kill Morel. I know. It's like, it's like you're going to leave that there? You know Nynaeve's going to know what that is. You know what she's going to say. Like, this is this is like a recipe for like a real disaster. <laughs> yeah. Because Egwene's like, you probably shouldn't tell Nynaeve about this whole thing with Morel. I think she says something like that. Mm-hmm. But like, Nynaeve's going to, bl- she's going to know anyway. Right, yeah. But I mean, yeah, this whole, it's actually like, well, this whole scene I kind of creeped me out because they kept, they talk about warders using the same language you would use with horses. Yeah. Right? Like this is he's this is a new one like you don't want to like give this warder land to a young girl like Nynaeve because she doesn't know how to manage him right. Yeah. Like, you know, he's 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 her employee like literally, right? Yep. Why does she have to manage him right? Like like he's a horse, like he's an animal with no agency. Mm-hmm. That's the way that Morel thinks about it in some ways, I think. It, yeah. I, I miss Lan though. Like I'm, I'm, I'm really glad to have him back. We, like, we get some Lan metaphors right off the bat. There's, they say something like, "He's an avalanche poised to fall, held back by a thread." I was like, "Oh man!" <laughs> yeah, <I know>. <laughs> <laughs> There's one where when she's skimming because she she skims Lan to Imudar really quickly, so he's not there right away, but in a few days. Yeah, and uh, she looks at him and she sees something stark and primal raged in those cold blue eyes. A denial of life. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, he just looked at her. Right? I feel like Robert Jordan really likes writing Lynn. <laughs> <laughs> I missed him, so I'm glad he's back. I hope we get to see more of Lynn. He's great. Speaking of skimming, 
She creates a platform, a barge that has railings for the skimming. Why did Rand not do that? Remember when he was moving all the Aiel and one of them like dropped off into eternity or yeah. something? Yeah, right. That's a great yeah. question. Mm, come on, dude. And you know that Aiel is still falling, right? Like, Well, he's probably dead by now, right? Still fallen. Well, de- but dead. Yeah. Although time is different there, so maybe like... Maybe like two books from now, someone's gonna be skimming, and then you see like the IO. Ah. <laughs> or worse, it's just like all of a sudden an IO splats in the middle of the platform. <laughs> where did that come from? <laughs> uh, all right, well, I guess well, we're gonna just keep going. I guess that's irrelevant. <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, if you fall, if you're falling forever, I guess you die of thirst first, right? Uh, I imagine yeah. he would kill himself. Oh, he probably. does have his little knives. That's true. Mm. Uh, yes, that, that was really stupid of Rand. Yeah, probably put some railing on that motorbike. <laughs> I mean, my, something totally enclosed, right? Like yeah, a, a why Joe not a box? Or a Joe Wing or whatever it's called. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Although not a box. Rand is not okay with boxes. Oh, yeah, that's right. He hated boxes. Oh, well, this is before he hated boxes. That's he definitely true. wouldn't do a box now. Anyway, when, when she gets back, she decides to let Nicola and Arena off again. Why? And yeah. this struck me as a terrible idea. Yes. Uh, this is like strike two, and this is, it demonstrates a certain pattern of behavior, shall we say, that they're doing this again. Yeah. Who else are they blackmailing, right? Yeah. That's a great question. Yeah. We, we know of two. She should at least punish them severely because that's exactly what you would expect. And she doesn't have to explain herself to punish a novice. That's right. And, uh, some other rando that hangs out all the time. She just send, she could just send them to the, the mistress of novices and be like, yeah. Tell them to punish you, you know? This mm-hmm. seems like a mistake. It makes and Egwene is not making a whole lot of mistakes, but this seems like one. Yeah, mm-hmm. it, I, I can't help but wonder what her reasoning is behind that, because she's so on top of things everywhere else, and it doesn't seem like she has any any good reason for letting them... Maybe this will be a lesson away. to her about harshness when it's necessary. Yeah, because perhaps. Like Swan wants to kill them. Yeah. She's she, like, oh, they're just going to have accidents, no problem. Yeah, yeah, that's right. But Igwein forbids her from doing it. And, uh, yeah, I don't know. I, I'm i usually against killing people, you know, in general, and also in this book. Uh-huh. <laughs> but uh, they should at least punish them or send them away or something like that. But Yeah, like, the, to me, at the very least, this is like, you're out of the tower kind of thing, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. But nope. And then she uses the threat of punishment to force Mirel and Nisao to swear fealty to her. Personally. I know. Even she though she also idea. thinks if they're Black Aja, it doesn't fucking matter. It's true. That is a good point. But yeah, I wonder if she had this plan before, uh, what is it, Fallon and Theodron swore their fealty to her. I bet it gave her the idea. Yeah, and she's consolidating power, right? Yeah, this is, this is like Egwene's army. It's yeah. growing. The tower needs to watch out because... This is how, like, totalitarian rulers take power, right? This is what I've been saying. These people are screwed. Egwene <laughs> will never stop. Yeah. And she has no boundaries. Even Swan is actually a little bit, like, put off by this. She's like, what are you doing? You know, she looks She looks at Egwene differently after this, yeah. for sure. But, yeah, that, as you mentioned, Swan is, like, so some accidents, eh? <laughs> sure would be a <laughs> right. shame if... Uh, Slip in the shower? Yeah. <laughs> then when uh, they all get back to the camp... Ramonda and Lelaine are pushing her to do something about the Black Aja. And Delana is also, but who cares? She is Black Aja. Yeah. Um, and they, it feels like this whole Black Aja thing is fomenting a lot of division among the, the, these Aes Sedai here. Yeah, she's probably the point. She needs to get ahead of this for sure, because this, this feels like the kind of thing that could like kind of destroy her, her consolidated power. Yeah. 
but then she's been having these headaches and Halima helpfully comes in to give her the massage to help her with the headaches. I know. I was like, oh, shit. <laughs> so Halima, as we know, is a forsaken. Yes. Like, a confirmed forsaken, not one of our suspected forsaken. <laughs> right. Uh, not, he's, not one of our 99% sure forsaken. 100% sure forsaken. Yeah, Halima is, is it Arangar? Arangar. Arangar. Yeah, which yeah. is one of the, the reincarnated forsaken. Yeah, so, so she channels male... The male half of the one power. Right. So that's how she's probably doing this to Egwene, giving her headaches. I was like, it's, so is Halima causing the headaches? Because we know that... She's got to be, right? She could yeah. be. Yeah, yeah. This is really bad. Who knows what Halima is doing inside that head? Yeah, right? She get, uh, Right? Like, who knows what thoughts Egwene is really having or not? Oh my god, what is happening? I know, because we know the Forsaken can influence your mind, even remotely. If you've got your hands on someone's head, I imagine you can do worse, right? Yeah. So oh. this is very bad. Yeah, so that's a heck of a ending for this long chapter. Yep. Chapter 13, The Bowl of the Winds. Did you guys get a little map? Yeah. Yes. A map of Ibudar. Mm-hmm. Yeah, this is, a, this is actually a pretty pretty cool little map, too. Like, some of the maps we've gotten have been a little on the, the crappy side, but this one has some some nice details, some, some good uh, yeah. labeling so we can get a feel for... The, the chapter has the icon of the birds. Is that sea folk? It's, it's sea folk. Yeah. It's kind of so. interesting, too, in this map, because in one corner we have the icon of the Black Aja, and then on the opposite corner we have the we have the Flame of Tarvalon. Oh, I didn't even notice that. You're right. Yeah. This is like kind of embossments on the map. Because, mm-hmm. you know, two halves, duality, balance, yes. separate vehicle. I don't understand. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, it's a pretty good map, but I don't know how useful it's going to be. Yeah, I was kind of wondering about that because we don't even get into Ebudar in this chapter. Right, yeah, they're, they're literally not. <laughs> they're just in a boat. <laughs> yeah, I think they're in the bay or the river leading out to the bay the whole yeah. time. Yeah. Whatever, I like maps. Yeah, I'll take them. And, and this, this helps me because I think before I hadn't exactly understood how the relationship between like the main Ebudar city and the Rahad worked uh, geographically. Mm, okay. So this is, this is useful because the Rahad is... The, I guess the rundown kind of like yeah. lawless area where they the know slums. The, yeah. yeah the slums where we know the bowl lives and it's mm-hmm. where they've been shipping across to uh, hunt every day I suppose yeah so yeah we're, we're finally checking in with our magic dishware hunters <laughs> yeah we get a uh, point of view from Avienda which I don't know if we've done that before I don't think so yeah this is I think this is the first and uh, team naive. To, which is Avienda, Elaine, and Nynaeve, and Birgitta, are rowing out to meet with the sea folk. Uh, That's right. And uh, I want to make a, just a quick aside here. Uh, even these people are saying that Egwene should kill yeah. Nicola and Arena. <laughs> Avienda and Birgitta are like, yeah, just kill him. Yeah, what? it's like, why, why? Yeah, you should kill him. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, as they're rowing over there, uh, Avienda, I liked Avienda's perspective, first of all. I liked how... She was like scared of the water and she was kind of viewing all the other, the wetlanders like they were kind of aliens. She didn't really understand what they were thinking or doing. Yeah. yeah. It occurred to me that this might actually be our first Aiel viewpoint. I don't know if we've actually Except had a for Rand. Oh, two, two, you're right. Sorry. <laughs> our first culturally Aiel viewpoint. <laughs> because, yeah, I, I don't think we've, we, we view the Aiel externally quite a lot, especially in the last couple of books. And uh, it's always from, one of the Westerners' perspective where they're like, oh, the Aiel customs are strange or who knows what Aiel are thinking or their mm-hmm. sense of humor is so weird. And it's kind of fun seeing Avienda's perspective because she's, in, in a way, it's very similar, just kind of reversed. Yeah, I liked how she has no subtlety. Like she's, like Nynaeve is always talking about how 
good Two Rivers woolens are good enough for her, but her her dress is silk, and she picked out that design herself, you know? Yeah. I've never seen her with anything but silk on. Hmm. Yeah. It's, and, it's... Uh, yeah. And Nynaeve is about to explode. She explodes a lot. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. She throws a tantrum sometimes, but, you know, it always go anywhere. Yeah. Uh, they realize on this row over that they should use Matt to help them in the search. I know. This is Amanda's suggestion. I kind of love it. Of course. Yeah, using Matt as kind of like a Taverin dowsing rod, which I think is brilliant. Because, yeah, of course. That's a great idea. Yeah, Taverin brings shit in, and Matt is like and super he's, lucky. He's like he, the he's best. He's done that before. Yeah. Well, Not intentionally, but he does that. Wasn't it he was walking into some place, and there was like a lightning strike, and he looked at the place where Nynaeve and uh, Egwene yeah. were being held captive or something like that? Yeah, yeah. Like, it was great. Yeah. Uh, and also, he's got a lot of soldiers with him who can search around. Like... The idea that they're not using him is just kind of silly. Mm. Yeah. I mean, they, they make the point that Matt is impossible to deal with. Well, Nynaeve makes the point very, <laughs> very uh, thoroughly. Mm-hmm. But everyone else is kind of like, yeah, it's a pretty good idea. I think it's a great idea. I think uh, I think Avienda's perspective is useful here. Mm-hmm. That's yeah. right. I said something nice about Avienda. <laughs> <laughs> and she's tall. <laughs> she's quite tall, which is useful for reaching things on the top shelf. <laughs> right. And I think we know something else, too. What? I think she's got a little dragon in her. You think so? Wait, what? Yeah. Why? Well, first of all, it follows the rule of every single piece of fiction ever where if a woman gets nauseous, then she's pregnant. No. I think that it's a red herring. They're blaming it on her being on the ship, but I think she's pregnant. Oh, shit. And then there's it's it was a weird moment. I'm trying to find it where she's talking about how she talks to the wise ones and they like are laughing hysterically, but they won't tell her why. I think it's because she was describing symptoms of being pregnant and she didn't realize it, but they did. Uh, I think. Maybe. I don't know. I mean, like, while it is certainly possible to get pregnant the first time you have sex. In an igloo. In an igloo. (laughs) uh, I mean, like that. I mean. I think she is. I think that's going to be the twist. How long has it been? Uh, Who the fuck knows? Yeah, who knows? When did that happen? Yeah. Yeah. There's a, this whole bit when they get to the Sea Folk ship where the, the ladies have to ride up on sort of an elevator, like a seat elevator. Uh-huh. It's awkward. And the boatmen are like trying to look up their skirts I, and they have to threaten the boatmen not to look up their skirts. I was like, what is the point of this scene? It was supposed <laughs> yeah. to be funny. I guess. I don't know. It's just, it just felt real weird to me. Yeah, oh. I, I, thought it was, I thought it was Nynaeve and Elaine having like prudish Andorran morals mm-hmm. and like acting weird about people looking up their skirt but then the boatmen actually do look up their skirts and then Avienda threatens them with a knife and then yeah I don't know uh, it, I also think it's funny that like yet again Nynaeve manages to like piss off the, the person that they need to help them like she's like they they come up above deck so they find Nynaeve like shouting at the sea folk that they're trying to like get, get in good with <laughs> yeah I know right you idiots it's like this is like Naive strategy number yeah, they one. Should have left her at home. Come on. Yeah. I, don't I mean, on the other hand, you never know when Mogedian is going to show up, and Naive is your anti-Mogedian technique. Right? <laughs> yeah. She. I mean, she's she's so she's like a she's like a like a like a big old gun that you want to just like you want to keep that holstered. You know, <laughs> you don't want to let leave her like wave it around. Okay. So throughout this chapter. Avienda is marveling at the ways of the sea folk, which is very interesting. The sea folk are very interesting. It is. Yeah. But she keeps thinking of them as wetlanders. Like, oh man, wetlanders are so weird. Philosophical point. Are the sea folk wetlanders? Are they just wet? Right? They don't they don't live in the land. Yeah. No, I The wetlanders are like the wetlanders are the Kyrianan, the Camelans or the, the Andorans. They're this specific culture of like semi-feudal European-style world. No, it's just come to me literally anybody who's not Aiel. 
Yeah, I, I would take that one step further. I think for the Aiel, Wetlander represents a certain softness for having easy exposure to water. And, and at one point she says something like, uh, it, it's real offhand and I can't remember the exact phrasing, but something like, these are more wetlanders than any other wetlanders because they live on the water. So she, I think she acknowledges that, <laughs> but she thinks of them as, as even softer because they they have such ready access to water. Mm, That's my, my take on it. It's they're the like, wettest of landers. Exactly, <laughs> right, yeah. So I think she actually does think about that and does differentiate, sort of. Mm -hmm. But to her, they're just like, more so. They're extra wet wetlanders because <laughs> they live on the water, you know. And there's a, whole, there's, a, there's a funny part where she's like, this, this idea of this water that you couldn't drink, useless water, who ever heard of such a thing? <laughs> so they meet with the, the bosses of the Sea Folk. Uh, I think they, they managed to successfully land on the, the Sea Folk Queen, uh, her flagship or whatever, because yeah. they just went to the biggest one. The mistress of the ships, which is, which yeah. Is, yeah, she's like the, the boss lead. of the Sea Folk, right? Yeah, that's convenient. And these people, this whole squad of people she meets are really awesome. Like, they're a lot of fun. Oh, I know, I agree. And uh, by the way... <clears throat> This is awfully convenient that they found this one person that they really needed to find. Maybe one of the people that they're with is actually a Taveran. Just right. saying. The person that seems to be doing the least to help is actually the most valuable one. <laughs> is Nynaeve the Taveran? <laughs> Nynaeve Taveran. Everyone knows it. We, we Wake up, first people. Year. That's right. But yeah, yeah, no, I agree. Uh, there's the the mistress of the sails, I think. or, or some... I, I think she's the boss of the ship. Yeah, there's this, this boss of the ship who's also essentially a clan chief. I think they say that she's like... A step above, she's you know like a a head of a bunch of of sea folk people, and then of course the actual queen of the sea folk, which is the mistress of the ships. And I guess there's also a couple of different wind talkers or or whatever they're called. Yeah, there's I think there's one of them. There's one wind talker. I was a little uncomfortable with the way that they got access to her though, because they're based. It wasn't blackmail, but they were basically saying like. We know, they said, they're like, we know your secret. We know that your Windhawkers can channel. And that's how they managed to get to see the mistress, whatever. Mm -hmm. My take on that was more that they were alleviating concerns. Like, the reason the reason that Aes Sedai aren't allowed on ships is because they don't want the Aes Sedai to discover that the Windhawkers are channelers. <laughs> so if they already know that, then it's less of a big deal. Um, but, but either way, it definitely helps them gain access because... The mistress of the ships wants to know how they know. And that's mm -hmm. the whole reason she brings them in. She's like, whoever told you I need to talk to them. Mm -hmm. And then he's like, oh, oh I don't know. remember. <laughs> Could have been anybody, really. Yes. And then he's all in her head. She's like, I make it a point to never lie like an Aes Sedai does. <laughs> but here she's like, nope, no idea. <laughs> <laughs> I know, right? Oh yeah, there's another there's another fun one where Nynaeve's like bullying people never gets anyone anywhere. Only a bully would threaten people, and Avian is like, yeah. <laughs> right? <laughs> that's pretty good. Yeah, I guess that's the right way to deal with Nynaeve. Is you sort of, I don't know, treat her like a joke is the right answer, but you just can't take her seriously. Let Nynaeve be Nynaeve. Yeah, yeah. But not too much because she might end up, you know, getting you thrown out of somewhere or into something that you don't want to get thrown into. Right. Yeah. Got to. I don't know. Yeah, I don't know how you manage Nynaeve. Yeah, yeah. So the sea folk know about the bowl. Oh, I thought this was really cool. Upon yeah. description, they're like, that's the bowl of the winds. You've got the bowl of the winds? And they're like, yes, sort of. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, no, but <laughs> we kind of know where it is, sort of. <laughs> yeah. Uh, they could, I don't, are they going to do this? They could ask the sea folk for help finding the bowl of the winds, right? The sea folk have a lot of manpower, probably. That is true. I think they're concerned, though, is who's going to get to claim ownership of it. Mm, yeah, because they immediately sit down 
because they need their help probably finding it and they need they're going to need their help using it because it needs 13 uh, wind weavers or whatever. Yeah. So they sit down to negotiate and it is immediately clear that Elaine and Nynaeve are over their head. Oh, yeah, I know. It's real bad because because the, the sea folk are, are traitors. That's the, that's the, this seems to be their universal livelihood. Yeah. And they even, they have a table there where they sit you at the table and then the two people you're dealing with sit on either ends of the table so you can only look at one at one time and the other one can watch you. I thought this was really they interesting. They've got a whole trading table. <laughs> we've uh, we've seen this before. The, the last time we dealt with the sea folk, this is something we encountered previously. Um... When it was, I think it was NDA was riding with the Sea Folk mm-hmm. the first time when they found up the Coromore. And I was wondering, is this something that, is this a, a something that Robert Jordan encountered elsewhere and thought was interesting and wrote in these books? Because I've never heard of this, but it sounds it sounds like something that would be like a, a clever bargaining tactic. Well, he was a military historian. Yeah, I wonder if this is like a story he read about somewhere yeah, setting up a table this way. I think that the the practices like they're sailing the way they describe. I think it's like a Mediterranean traders, like from like the Greeks who were traders all the way up to like the, the Renaissance era, Italy, like city state traders yeah, who were like these wealthy merchant princes, merchant Kings. Uh, and they, that's, I think probably he borrows a lot from that. Yeah. It's, it's, it's certainly an interesting trading tactic and, uh, yeah, uh, Nynaeve and Elaine get their lunch eaten by these traders. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> they have no idea what they're, they're messing with. It's pretty funny. Uh, yeah, but I think it's, I think it's, at least it's going to be a good story, you know, getting, getting raked over the coals by the queen of the sea folk. Right. Yeah. That's something you can tell your friends about. <laughs> but yeah, um, I guess the, this, this bowl of the winds is a, uh, I think they, they mentioned it's been lost for 2000 years and now it's back. And that's another sign that the Coromore has returned. Yeah. 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 Except they don't quite have it yet. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, like it's, it's nearby. Close. Yeah. Yeah. We're, we're pretty sure that we know mm-hmm. kind of where it is. One thing I like about Avienda's perspective is that she's she considers killing most of the people that she meets. Yeah, like you know, the pros and cons for every person. She's sitting in the room and like, oh, Elaine gets a little irritated and she's looking around the room like, who am I going to kill first? Probably that wind. Wor- wor- yeah, right. <laughs> Which is like, yeah, she, that that the, she can channel. I'll get her first, and then later on she changes her mind. Like, no, 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 that guy. I can get that guy first. <laughs> yeah, something in his eyes. He seems dangerous. Probably kill him next. <laughs> yeah, it's pretty great. Yeah, she's 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 always thinking from this. Uh, a yield perspective and it's it's fun i like it yeah uh overall yeah this 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 book so far is is has been very enjoyable i i keep looking for the place where it's gonna gonna slow down or or get boring and and maybe it's just that at this point i'm really invested in in the story or invested in the characters but so far i like this one much better than the last book or maybe it's because remember we talked about it seemed like the end of the last book was almost arbitrary Maybe because it was all supposed to be more of a story, and so like now the story's picking up. Like if we look at the two past books, is more of like one book. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so, that's that's a very yeah. good point. If this if this is the end, the ending of the last book, then that would make sense. Yeah, yeah. you know what is what's the all the inciting events for the action that we're seeing now all happen in the last book, mm-hmm. right? Yeah, like they're still looking for the bowl. Egwene is still marching on Tarvalon. Rand is still like coming back, like returning from his captivity. Mm-hmm. I also feel like we've gotten less recap, if that makes sense. I, I know that in previous books, he spent a lot of time catching up. And because there's so many characters and so many events, that takes a lot of pages to do it. Yeah. And while it certainly did happen in this book, it seems like it's been less so. And maybe he never intended this book to be read on its own the way he did other books yeah, he wrote. I, I'm gathering at this point, book seven, yeah. he was confident that people were going to be reading the series. So yeah. he didn't have to 
write it as though it was an entry point. It's it's certainly this is certainly a book that you couldn't pick up and understand what was going on. I think. Yeah, I bet you couldn't. Yeah, because it's just so much going on, so much that's in reference. Yeah, but so far I'm really really enjoying this one. Yeah, and stick with us next time because I noticed that chapter fourteen is a Matt chapter. Oh yes. man! Oh, we haven't seen Matt this book, have we? I know it's so exciting. Oh, I miss Matt. <laughs> So that's it for this episode. Next time, we're going to cover chapters 14 through 17 of Crown of Swords. I am Jeff Lake. That's at Jeff underscore Lake on Twitter. I'm Alice Sullivan. That's at Alice M. Sullivan on Twitter and Blue Bonnet Cafe on Instagram. I'm Michael Sparkman. I don't have one of those. If you have any comments, questions, or feedback, please drop us a line at hello at thedragonreread.com. We always love hearing from you. Please share us with anybody you think will like us. Please give us good reviews wherever you got this. Please like us in real life. We're just so likable. Uh, please give us your dollars on Patreon, patreon.com slash armadillopodcastingclub. Until next time, the, the light, light illumine you. you.